Hello and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I appear Lee. You are indeed. <laughs> I am. Well, I last looked, I am. <laughs> I'm lamenting a little bit because I just don't have a good book on my bedside table. Maybe the book Surviving a Flood could be useful for you. I don't know if it exists, but you go, you could find a few handy manuals. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I was given a book by Christmas called How to Be a Liberal. And to be honest with you, I'm about halfway through and I still don't know, really know what a liberal is. But it's an amazing exploration of thinking through the ages and how liberal thought has emerged. And it's got a we not me touch to it, actually, which has been which has been quite educational for me. In what way? Well, I, one of the big, in, I've read about this in the book, one of the main sort of big bits of thinking about this was a book by John Stuart Mill um, and his wife, Harriet Taylor, often not credited as per. And, but called, that's a separate Yeah, that's story. a separate topic. <laughs> Don't even go there. Oh, my word. But, but you know, but it called On Liberty. And they were really talking about, they really examined loads of, loads of different topics around this and the, the the bit that stuck out for me was about doubt actually and it's uh, just reading from the how to be a liberal book at the heart of that thought was an astonishingly humble realization that there could be truth in the words of someone you disagreed with sometimes it was just a trace element sometimes it was a sizable chunk and that really jumped out for me actually in these complex but also polarized times you know where we sometimes forced to take a side pro-brexit anti-brexit you know remain a brexiter pro-vax anti-vax whatever it is there's loads and loads of examples and we are drawn to those sides i think but that idea of seeking truth in what other people are thinking really landed for me And and the art of dialogue and being able to have a sort of a to to seek to understand yes indeed and to seek to learn Whereas I think we're, yeah, we're, we're taking these ambiguous and complex topics and we're trying to distill them down into sort of short sound bites, which fit onto a, a Facebook comment, really, when they are much more complex. And we don't really know the whole picture of anything, really, but how interested are we? I, I think that's a bit of a muscle yeah and particularly in these complex times and and a time of uh, uncertainty and actually um it's a perfect time to hear our guest for today Pierre james pry who's the um, head of talent leadership development at gilead pharmaceuticals and yeah he's he's really spent a lot of time studying how humans and teams engage how they can operate in times of complexity so i think he's really got something great to say for teams so why don't we whiz over and hear what james has to say james welcome to the show it's great to have you well uh, thank you for inviting me dan and pia it's great to it's great to be here super excited and uh, looking forward to the questions and the topic. We're very much looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. But first of all, we have to torture you a little bit. We'll hear, we'll let you introduce yourself in a moment. But as you know, we start with our little card exercise. I have the tricky red cards, the medium orange cards, and then the easier green cards. Which one are you going to go for, James? Do you know what? I'm going to go for the green. I'm going to break trend. 
Because I can only imagine trends. everyone goes middle or top, right? And I, I'm just going to play it safe, Dan, <laughs> right? It says a lot about me, I love or your, not. No, exactly. I don't think I've ever seen you play it safe, actually. But here we go. So I'm going to choose a card at random, and I'm going to ask you the... Oh, here we go. It's genuinely done at random. So this is my earliest memory is... Oh. That's a bit orange, that is. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure what the orange and the red would be, Dan, with a question like that, my earliest (laughs) memory. It's very true, actually. Um, Yeah, that's... I think my earliest memory was actually when I was about three, four years old, I think. Must have been about that. My nan had um, a boxer dog called Timmy, and he... uh, typical boxer i've grown up with boxers as as pets and uh, their children from when they're born to the, the moment unfortunately they pass away they're just big kids and he had this thing about that when i used to go to my nan's i'd sit on the step in her kitchen and he'd be in the garden and she'd open the door and call timmy and he'd come bounding in and he'd launch full pelt and push me to the floor and pinned me down by my shoulders because he was super excited. A drool all over you. Complete, completely covered in, in, in kind of wet tongue. So that's, <laughs> Wonderful. My, uh, that's Beautiful. my first memory. And Doggy I'm sure listeners are now saying it most probably explains a lot about James. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does shed some light, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, a beautiful doggy moment to start our, our interview today. And so, James, just um, take us forward from that point a little bit. What took you from being licked by a bo- boxer to being on yeah, the We Not dog. Me show today? Yeah, exactly. So I, I guess my path to this moment in time, I'm Global Head of Leadership Development. I've spent most of my career in the world of leadership and talent. I guess like all of us went to school. I grew up in the, and you should never assume that obviously, but I grew up in London, Southeast London until I was in my teens. And then I moved down to Devon and I grew up by the coast in North Devon. So I was very lucky. Um, My parents bought a small holding farm. So that was great growing up in that area. I went to boarding school, which I was very lucky. I actually grew up playing loads of sports. So going to boarding school was absolutely fantastic for that. Then left there, college, university, and then into the world. I started my career in um, pharmaceuticals, and then I kind of, all the way through my career now, just over 20 years. I don't want to reveal too much of my age. Obviously, this is a podcast, so people can't see my youthful 30 (laughs) years old looks. Um, So I've worked in both pharmaceuticals, financial services, FMCG, uh, data and technology media technology and then and then back into pharmaceuticals yeah that that is very for, for such a young looking man that is Thank such a, an, ex, <laughs> an experienced career yeah. you've packed it in yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna answer sort of i'm gonna ask you like an orange type question around team so so here's one and i'm really interested to know what your viewpoint is teams seem in my humble opinion to be taken for granted so they're this key unit that get things done, but they've been underserved and undervalued in some respect, taken for granted. Is that just my viewpoint or is that something that you see from working across these large organisations? And, and why might that be? What's caused us to maybe get to this situation? Well, I think that's more appear of a, a red question, if I'm honest. <laughs> we've, got, we've gone heavy straight in there. Yeah, I think I, I, it's a great question. I think you're right. I mean, my view is... You're right. And I think it also depends, right? The classic learning and development answer. It depends. And I, and the reason I say that is 
I think it depends on the, the culture and the environment, not just in organizations, just generally of that nature of teams. So actually, in many sporting worlds, I think it's fully utilized. I think in organizations, it's often underutilized or the, the attention's not paid because it's kind of, it's seen through an organogram structure, right? So you have a boss and then they have the teams and there's the notion in many organizations that teams are hugely important. So from a, cap- from a vocabulary perspective, if I can speak properly, and from a cognitive reasoning perspective, we understand the importance. I think the challenge is teams are multifaceted and very different. And I think we then also really struggle to understand the, the role of the leader of the team. So I've worked in many organizations where the conversation is that the managers have so much to do is a classic phrase. And I think we lose sight of one of the key roles is to develop and build a team that delivers on the objectives of that particular team. And I think they get negated because it's, it's complex and it's hard because it's individual people with lots of different diversity and personalities trying to come together to solve things in complex environments. And so if we just ignore it a little bit and we kind of do a bit of what we call team effectiveness, everything will be okay. As we know here, it's not that case. And I think what happens is we get we use excuses and avoidance from really facing the truth of the importance that teams play and the amount of effort it goes into maintain the direction of that team and the well-being and just how they operate. And I think we get we just get lost and we just make excuses. Being honest, I've been in that position myself. I know how important they are. It's my job. But actually, over time, you get distracted by other things. You try and come back to the team. Your agendas get packed. And then we forget the basic hygiene factors of maintaining that team. So, it, James, is the problem partly the this then this player coach role? We see so many team leaders. That, well, I'm leading this team, but I've still got a territory of my own, or I've still got a certain technical things I have to do myself. Is that part of the problem that you're saying that this mixture of the, the team leaders not given enough space to actually lead the team? They've got this other role that actually is the one that can't be can never be given up. Well, I, I, I think what you hit as a passion and interest of mine is I, I think it's about an identity, right? So we label things, team leader, and then we create a kind of a mismatch of what that means over the actual practical behavior of being that team leader. So I think what we create is this almost view of I have a title and then I have all of this day stuff. And I, I've always wondered in my whole career when, when leaders or organizations say our managers are so busy. And I'm not disagreeing. They are so busy. But what's going on in the system that makes them so busy against the effectiveness of leading their teams? Now, they are busy leading their teams, but we know from all the data that there's mismatch on how effective those teams operate because I think their identity is shed to them looking good, right? It's about each of us in that pit, in that column or that pyramid, looking good ourselves and maintaining our own identity and need to ensure that we're okay. 
I think the nature of teams should be cognitively, anyone, you know, who will listen to this understands this. Cognitively, it's about for the greater good of the team. But humans aren't like that necessarily, right? We have our own flaws, our own vulnerabilities, our own needs. And I think it takes a lot of individual work to understand your place and perspective of ensuring the success of that team by letting go of something in yourself. And I don't think we spend a lot of time in organizations looking through that lens. We almost manufacture forcing teams together to operate and we give them some tools and we kind of every six months we'll do a value exercise and great team effectiveness. Let's look at the objectives we're doing. And then we just ignore it for the next six months. And I'm not saying everyone does that, please. That's the far extreme. But when you come back into the middle of the norms in many organizations, it's something that takes second place, right, to everything else I'm meant to be doing, as you quite rightly said, Dan. I'm still wondering what this everything else that we're meant to be doing is sometimes. Well, I mean, it was interesting. We looked at some squadified data and, and looked at the 37 questions that we ask. And the number one question that was the highest scoring was focused on getting things done. And then the number 37 in terms of importance was strong personal connections. And that was just, that wasn't the present scores. That was the important scores. So something's really, something. that's exactly what you're saying, really. I, I think we're lost. The, the, I think there's a, you know, a bit of an identity crisis in many, you know, systems, people, etc., really, what is the purpose I'm here to do? How do I maintain my own identity and need? But also, I try my best to ensure the team's okay. But there's a double dynamic there. Because actually, in most organizations, there's a kind of pyramid, some flatter than others. But there is a hierarchical structure in every organization, either not by title, but by founder. There's a, there's a natural power divide that naturally exists in humans anyway in organizational structures. The problem is then you start, if you break that down, each of those people from the top down to the most individual, you know, contribute to the entry level, there's a need of them having an identity to prove their worth. And so actually within a team, there's all of those individuals that have the need to prove their worth as well as the leader of that team. And so there's a mismatch of communication and understanding. And I'm not surprised that the, what I feel is the most important in your survey is at the bottom. And the one that we can feel comfortable and control is at the top, because there's an element of control in this. As humans, we love to feel in control. The bits I can control is me delivering on a task. The emotions and stuff and the connectivity in a team at a deep personal level is unsettling for lots of people. I don't want to go there because actually I have to face some of those vulnerabilities in me. And this is that was my point earlier to Dan's question. If we don't look at ourselves in the middle of this, and it's interesting how we often visualize teams and the number of visuals, even in books, it's like a pyramid team leader and then the, the, the people reporting in. I don't see very many times the leaders in the middle with the people around them. Right. Because in the middle is the leader doing their own work that has a bearing on the impact of how the other people interconnect. And we, we tend to even in our images draw stuff that is a bit constricting and not liberating from a visual perspective of how things operate. 
And we found that too with I mean, that, that hub and spoke model, you know, the, so that the manager is, is this central to all the individuals in their team. And they're not, they're not communicating without the manager. With, between each other. Yeah, there's no team. Between. It's just a team leader. To, it's just multiple one-on-one conversations. Yeah, and, and, and it, the, I think the, the challenge is any of those drawings don't really give the subtlety of what's going on. Right. So when we get with team effectiveness books, again, cognitively, it all makes perfect sense. Right. It's nicely written and well explained. And when you do this happens, the bit we fail to realize is that all of us are unique and we all have different belief patterns, different stories, etc. So even you're right, even the hub and spoke model means that the leader becomes a conduit and there's most sometimes not connectivity. Also, that visual image could actually then lead to even increased power, right? So a hierarchical structure has power. Any kind of notion of diagram often then shackles to a power need within individuals within that construct. And this is the big issue in the world, right? The power and need and control. And that that's what makes this very hard. So it sounds like, James, you're putting your finger on this idea of identity and also what that means. So, you know, I've got to get my job done. I've got to serve the team. I've got to serve the organization. There are multiple tensions in that, aren't there? That's reality, isn't it? How can they go about moving away from that and away from absolutes, but to really keep that in balance? What's the, what's need, what teams need to do? I think that this is the, and if I have, you know, this is just my view. I mean, if I had the total answer, I would have written that book by now, (laughs) sold millions of copies, and we could be doing this podcast on a beautiful island somewhere, right? um, Because I, I think we all have views. And I think in the first piece, it's there's no silver bullet. That's my first recommendation. There's no silver bullet of success. But there is about continuous practice and awareness of what's going on. And, and, but I think in the first instance, it starts with us, me as an individual. I have to understand more about me, what makes me tick, the nuances of when I get a challenge from a team member within my team. How do I react to that? Am I shackled, but I should have all of the answers because I'm the team leader and that's the badge that I've been given? Or am I comfortable to say, actually, I, I haven't got an idea. Let's have a go. I think that's a great recommendation. So I think in the new, the kind of the world we currently face, I think that there's an element of actually symbiotic relationship of connectivity of my own, what we would often call, you know, in old parlance, brilliant self-awareness development and opening up of an individual. I think in the world that we find now, that's critically important because it's a symbiotic relationship in the sense of, as I grow, the people around me grow, because as I become more aware of the blindness that I have about myself and open up, I allow the system to open up with me and better communication and connectivity, the ability to be vulnerable and say, I really don't know. I have a view and your, my view is most probably as good as anyone else's in this team right now. And so I think the notion that's been around for hundreds of years of self-development is even more critically important actually right now in a world that's incredibly complex where we're not solving problems. We're often managing polarities. We're often actually managing tensions. 
we're actually holding tension in a system to allow things to emerge before making decisions. I think that notion of really understanding us is more critically important right now than it's been for a long time. I also think the other issue is we're shackled by a time of teams when in the 20th century, when there was linear projection, do this, do this, you do that. Pia, you're going to do that. And Dan, you're going to do that. We'll come together. We'll make sure we get on and we'll achieve our objectives. The problem is when you add a layer of context into this in a world that's continuously adapting and we can't control, that's where the level of complexity has kind of shattered those old visions of both individual leaders, teams, and just human connection. And I think we're in organizations beginning to see that tension between those things and the old models and ways of being aren't sufficient to allow us to operate in a new world. So my humble view and my starting piece is, is there an element of self-work and then the connectivity of how the leader responds and brings the team in? I also think we used to set huge three-year strategies, right, which is still very relevant right? Because it's the direction of travel. But we have to allow flexibility in those things because the world changes. You know, our strategy that we set last week, has it adapted? Has it moved? And so the notion of even the construct of why teams come together to review has fundamentally changed. It's not about definitive concrete milestones. It's about data and insight. Are we close? Are we off? Do we need to retweak our objectives? So even the nature of communication within teams has fundamentally changed, but I still think we're trapped in an old way of point and give direction, and then everything will be all right because I feel okay because we've got clarity. I was, I, and, and it's interesting, I was talking to someone about this the other day, how, and, and you work a lot with teams. The number of leaders I'm speaking to recently that keep saying, I need more clarity myself as a leader, and my team keep asking for more and more clarity. And I give them clarity, which I think is clarity, and they just ask for more. Because actually, I think what they're asking for is certainty. They're not asking for clarity. At the moment, we all want certainty that we're going to be okay in a changing dynamic after a horrific pandemic that's left its mark on humanity. People want certainty right now. Am I okay? And as leaders, to Piers' beautiful point in your survey, that inter- that that connectivity of understanding am I okay at the moment is often lost because we get shackled by if I deliver I'm okay but that doesn't work in a new world because what are you delivering James can you drill down a little bit on this clarity thing because clarity is really important to to in our thinking we've talked about it on the show quite a bit it's obviously changed for this new world because just the opposite, you know, in a way, if the opposite of clarity is, oh, you know, we don't know what we're doing. So just keep that's ineffective as well, isn't it? So what does clarity look like in this world? It's a different, but what does it look like? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think um, there was an interesting piece just in your question there, Dan, of if we look like we don't know what we're doing, we're not okay. And so clarity is often a definitive action that if I do this, I get this. And that's, I think that's some of the challenge is that people want certainty that if I do this, I get this. But that doesn't happen now. So for me, clarity is about actually reassurance that we are, we're going to head in this direction and we'll put milestones in place to see the emergence of what's going. So 
this is our target. This is what we want to achieve. That's still the same. But I think along that way, clarity becomes pause, reflect and understand. What are we seeing? What's the system telling us? What are we making sense making of the system to allow us to tiller touch, create space of dialogue and understanding? soothe the tension in the not solve it but soothe it to allow it to be aired for me that's clarity that we have the space to be able to have those conversations now sometimes there is total certainty if we do this we will get this not everything is ambiguous in the world and so which bits can and that's another piece which bits can we be very clear on right if this is our plan which bits are really concrete which bits aren't, which bits are we just going to not worry about right now, okay? And we'll see what happens and does, when we do this, affect this? And what's the interconnectivity between those two things? Now, that's hard for leaders who are being assessed on delivering concrete outcomes. Now, in sales, yeah, you have a target, right? And we're aimed for that. And how do we break that target down, whatever we're selling? And you can give an element of clarity of direction. Even in the current world, when the context changes around your sales environment and you're off target, what do you do? Do you just push the team harder, work harder, and this will change? Because you can't control context. What you can control is narrative within the team to understand. And that's the this dynamic of pressure that exists because we love that certainty but that certainty often doesn't exist. So what do we do? We try and seek more certainty, but that's actually not possible. And it's our mind playing tricks on us constantly that we can, if we do work harder, we work more, we work more hours, we, we try even harder. And it's that self-fulfilling prophecy that actually just leads to burnout in many teams. And so I think certainty and clarity intertwined But clarity in a new world is being very clear which bits we can be certain we can deliver right now in a period of time. Which bits do we need emergence to form so we create space to understand what's going on? And which bits do we just wait to see, right? And actually just take some tension away from us. And so I think the word means the same, but the direction to get there is slightly different. And that also, I think, infers that not only the role has changed for the manager, the team leader, but that but there's a different responsibility for the team members now. So with that change, you can't just sit and expect your team leader to give you that level of certainty and direction because <clears throat> it needs to be adapted in the moment. But what else do you see about the team members? How else have they got to adapt and change it, for the future, I guess? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an absolutely brilliant insight. I think the pre, the, the mismatch of I can sit comfortably here because it's my boss's responsibility is quite an interesting narrative. It's their responsibility what? To deliver on your behalf, to create the right climate, to, you know, hold a space of truthfulness, vulnerability, openness, dialogue, all of these. But what's your part in it? So I have a role to support my manager or my boss because I'm as culpable as they are. So if I keep asking for something, but I'm not giving anything, how does that work? And I think you raise a really interesting point of, again, 
when it was when we had lots of certainty and and almost the boss can say you're doing this you're doing this you're doing this and we'll have a check in and make sure you're on target for your objectives then i i think that was easier right because i could not take my foot off the gas but i kind of was okay because my boss had me right that was okay now though when we my boss hasn't got that certainty themselves how do i play my part and my dynamic needs to change and how do i understand which was out of part of the conversation earlier me what's my need what am i blind to what am i doing that's putting pressure on my boss and then i'm blaming my boss cuz they're not leading me and 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 i think this is my point of that symbiotic relationship i think the needs of openness and honesty what do i have to give up in me to allow this team to operate not just my boss but my peers around me is an interesting dynamic what do i have to give up in myself that power the control that this need to be right whatever it is that's important in you that's affecting your ability to really integrate within that team you have to investigate it more and more because systems are intertwined the breaking down of silos that we've talked about for in my whole career that we're still struggling with this element of power and control that exists all hinders the success of a team and i think it's really important that we ease some pressure on it's just the team leader's responsibility it's everyone's responsibility the team leader sets the tone and the direction and needs to with their own individual work the ability to open up have those conversations hold people to account give feedback that's still important but i have a role to play to own the things that are coming own my own part in it and also have a dialogue of exploring the feedback that i'm being given not get defensive and these things are this is why it's so difficult because the book says do this and you'll be okay and I struggle to do this because I have all of these bits around me that don't want me to do this and don't want me to be vulnerable, don't want me to be open, don't want me to challenge my own boss because I I I think there's a different way of doing things and it's hard. It's not this whole notion of human connection is difficult. So it sounds so to make this change as a team any member of any team you've got forces against you from the system. You've also got the fundamental issue that you, we're not all that self-aware and that's a <laughs> that's a barrier to it sometimes isn't it to understanding so uh, boiling this down what could our listener do in the coming weeks to, to sort of help themselves to make this shift against those forces what are some practical things that you can do to move and prepare yourself for this new world i i think in the first instance i think there's an element of actually just look at our team meeting agendas what's going on in those agendas do we create any space for openness of what's really going on and i don't mean below the line of almost blaming everything else around me right but what are we creating space to understand and the openness honesty of the tension that we're feeling right now not get into well because of x of this but just hear it just hear the system for a while of how people are and don't try and solve it the notion you try and solve it you can't solve it you have to listen right because all of our feelings are important so the first piece for me is 
look at your agenda. If it's just top to tail, for, if it's a whole day meeting from nine, whatever the time is, in this example, nine till five, is it item after item that is tactical task, as Pia beautifully said earlier, or is there space of reflection and understanding of our connectivity into this work? Because it's easy to say when X department, they deliver or when they get their act together, we'll be okay. But are we building time in to understand where we're leaking our own frustrations and tensions back to them? They're picking up on that, all of these dynamics. So the first thing is just really be really clear on your agenda. Is there enough space in it? The second piece for me is the self-reflection. What's happening in you as a team leader right now and how open and honest are you with your team? Now, there's a notion of protecting your team. The team don't need to know absolutely everything. I'm not advocating walking into a room and sharing absolutely everything because there's a contextual awareness of what's important. But again, what are you protecting them from? Right? There's a question there. Are you protecting them from your own fear or are you protecting them because they don't need to know right now and it causes too much emotion of something that's going on in a system? So where's your audit of you? What's going on for you right now? And how is that impacting the team? How are you sharing or not sharing? And I think the third thing is real, real space to actually going back to that, that, that clarity and certainty. What can we be really clear on? So a bit of an audit. What can we deliver in the timeline? What does that look like? What are we confident on delivering to in- increase the certainty? What do we allow that's more complex to emerge and how are we going to allow that? What data do we need to test our hypothesis or our direction of travel? And are we building data and insight into our team to understand what's going on and allowing that data to ask questions and to be able to sense make and and not just interpret to make a solid decision, but what are we just noticing? What's the story that's behind the story of the data? And how are you using the data to inform and soothe some unnecessary tension in the team? I think that um, relationship between data and dialogue is so key. Because if we don't learn how to extract those insights and have the difficult conversation, we are losing such a critical piece of muscle power for the future. That makes us able to adapt when we're able to feel confident enough to have those types of conversations. So I think you've, you've really hit on a key element there that's just, that's critical. And we're at this point now where we could almost dissolve that capacity because we think technology will provide it for us, but we're human beings. Well, well I think we also get shattered, you know, shackled by the notion of data also produces something concrete that eases something in me because I proved something, right? Here's the data. It says this, look, we're all engaged in, in the team. So we're all okay. Okay. But what could we be better at? What's missing? What's the story behind the data? How's the connectivity of your engagement survey could be very much engaged, but there's terrible work-life balance. Well, is, does that mean they're engaged or elements of engagement? So again, I think we, we miss the interconnection of data and the story. And I also think a lot of teams get trapped by solving symptoms of a bigger problem and they chase their tail. So they keep trying to solve a symptom and not getting because they're not using data to sense make from. 
they're using data to confirm something. Oh, look, it says this. Let's head all that direction and we'll solve it over here. And then they get there and they suddenly, they, it's over here. And I, I think actually, if you're not careful, data can turn into the, you know, that fairground game of whack-a-mole. You hit it and you think, great. And then it pops up somewhere else because you're not doing the connectivity to, as you said, Pierre, to the sense making behind. What's the connectivity to the, all of this? And actually pause to look at that because actually you may find something that takes, requires less effort not more effort. And I think I don't see a lot of teams use data against their objectives or actually even their own data of upward feedback or team effectiveness, et cetera, to put a notion of what's going on against their objectives. It's almost like that's separate from the work we're doing. Our team survey is separate from over here. What's the connection between those two things? You know, it's a little bit like the drunk with the lamppost using it more for support than illumination. I think data can be like that, can't it? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> James, you have shared with us some really thought-provoking ideas today. I think it's going to be very... It's going to cause our listener a moment of thought, actually, to really focus on this new world and the new ways in which they, as a team member, need to be. So um, incredibly valuable, James, and we really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for the invite and the, the green question. Next time, Dan, if, if you do invite me back, I'll go straight to red. Yeah, for, for the easier ones. Okay, yeah, cool. I know what you're... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Perfect. Put down the gauntlet. Excellent. We'll take that one up. Excellent. <laughs> thank you so much, James. Thank you. And I just hope that there's some bits in there, that, like you said, that just make people think a little bit more. There is no silver bullet, but some thought can make a big difference. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. James really made me think about something that I've even more that I've been that's been on my mind for a few years now and that's around all this these polarized views in the world and and I've come to the conclusion that I like everyone else wants to be right about these things you know it's a great it's it's a really great feeling that isn't it the, uh, I, there's nothing better than ah oh, i told you so oh, i was oh even thinking of it i can feel the surge of some hormone coursing through my veins just the thought of that happening but i think james may have put his finger on something that actually a even higher need is to be certain seeking certainty and if i'm asking my view on something bang it's this and i'm going to exclude other things whereas there's clearly a piece here that we as teams, team members, team leaders need to do, which is to, yes, hold certainty where it exists, but really, more importantly, look for exploration of what else is out there. What are other views? What are other perspectives? Because that certainty is going to change. And in a time of change, we, we have to keep ourselves open. Absolutely. And I think there's almost a bit of vulnerability there, isn't there? Because I think when you've got that certainty, then you feel that you are in a strong position. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have that certainty, then you feel a degree of vulnerability. But things are changing so rapidly. And it just strikes me like we, we talk a lot about diversity. But when we have a diverse set of opinions, we try and chop them up. And then we actually make camp A versus camp B. <laughs> and that's not diversity. I mean, we can really learn from if we're open to that diversity. We then have a completely different type of dialogue and a completely different understanding of how humans work. It's incredibly rich. We see that in some of the Squadify results. You know, sometimes we can prosecute the data to make ourselves feel certain that we're okay. You know, when in actual fact, 
that's not the case. Yeah, I think that exactly. And actually, I think that sort of handling tensions and being able to deal with that ambiguity, but also then as a team to be able to bring that ambiguity into the light, even if it remains ambiguous, to say, right, that's what that's a thing that we've got between us. Let's move forward. That is, that's a more um, whole way of doing things than just saying, well, which one is it? But bringing people together on that is, is no mean feat, actually. And teams have a real challenge today, I think, to be able to do that consistently. And I think it's a great segue for our next week's guests. So we've talked a lot about head. This is about heart. So we are meeting the CEO of Optima Life, Simon Shepherd, and, and, and we are going to be talking about heart rate variability monitors. Now, these are fascinating pieces of equipment that tell us a lot of what is going on inside our bodies and our hearts and give us some really helpful data. So I, th- the discussion of this and what Simon will be able to draw huge insights will give us a whole different perspective and a little bit of personal experience from you and I, Dan. I, indeed, we have done the thing. And I'm looking forward to hearing from Simon, particularly as his um, LinkedIn bio says that he is an author, problem solver, nuisance. So I can't <laughs> wait to hear, hear have him wreak, wreak havoc on the show. But that is it for this episode. Um, you can find show notes and resources at squadify.net. Just click on the We Not Me podcast link. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share the love and recommend it to your friends. We Not Me is produced by Mark Stedman of Origin. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.